If you have high blood pressure, what do we give you? A calcium channel blocker. What does calcium do? Create electricity, a harder, a harder pump in the heart. So it's important for people to know if you want to be living, you got to eat something that is living. And for something to be living, it has to have electricity pulsing through it. Grow your own food. Find something local. Find food that's, I don't care what the, what the price is, the cost is going to be less if you get something that's higher quality. Because of the investment. Because of the investment. Because you say, well, that's too expensive. Well, expensive food is less costly. I tell patients that all the time. Yep. Cheap mm -hmm. food is more costly. You have to have that concept. You have to make an investment. Yeah, and you either pay the farmer or you pay big pharma. Peace and blessings. Welcome back to the channel once again where we talk all things health and healing from a holistic perspective and today will be no different. Today I'm with my brother today. It is so unique how the universe works. You know, quite often, you know, when you show up for yourself, then everything around you begins to show up to support what you're doing. And what I will tell you is that I, I was on this journey, walking down the road, doing what I do, learning what I need to learn to help people. I started to look out and see other people doing the same. And I could tell you one of the people that I said I got to connect with him at some point in the future uh, was him, who I'm interviewing today. And out of the blue, maybe two weeks later, I get a call from another physician friend of mine. He's like, hey, he wants to tap in with you. Can I give him your number? And so the guest that I'm sharing with you today is Dr. Montgomery Baxter. He's a board-certified cardiologist, author of The Food Prescription for Better Health. He was named as one of America's top physicians in 2007. He is the founder of the, and medical director of Montgomery Heart and Wellness Health Center. Dr. Baxter primarily uses a raw vegan diet along with other natural approaches to serve heart failure, kidney failure patients, and many more at his clinic. And so without any further ado, I welcome you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, thanks for having me. It's, man, it's great, great to be here. <laughs> yeah, Vic, when I tell you, you know, like, I always, when, whenever, you know how they have that saying, whenever you have a, a plan, God chuckles. That's right. <laughs> and... I have a saying where where whenever I put something out in the universe, yep, the whole entire universe smiles and says, "I got you." Got you. And right. so, you know, being on this journey for the last 12, 13 years myself and coming out of modern medicine and going into what I do now and that long meticulous journey that I had to go through, you know, I'm always searching for like-minded people along the journey. And what I will tell you is that I was, as I came back here searching out for this one and that one, it wasn't always inviting. Mm. And I always, I didn't always get the energy that I wanted from the people to say like, all right, this is who I need to collaborate with. But yep. I, what I can say, brother, is that it has been exactly that since we met. And I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me here. And, you know, I want to commend you on the work you're doing. And, and again, um, as you point out, when when you're doing something that's right, and this is something, this, I mean, God has written certain rules in the universe. I mean, these right. are physical laws. You know, gravity. I mean, if you jump off a tall building, I don't care how good you are, nice you are, you're gonna, you know, gravity's gonna take its place. Right, right. And so, when you're doing things that are positive, then positive people will connect with you. And right. I think those are probably one of the laws of the universe that God is is written. Right. And so what you do, what you're doing is definitely a positive thing yeah. in terms of helping people heal themselves naturally. And when I saw what you're doing, I, I in fact I learned about you on it. And I don't know; it's really strange because I had your book a while for yeah. a long time. I don't know where I bought it, how I got it. <clears throat> it was sitting on my shelf. So fast forward to when I was uh, looking at some things on Instagram and I saw some stuff you were promoting. So Dr. Bobby Price. Okay, I don't think we've ever met. Yeah, and I started looking at your websites. Wow! And some of my followers are following you. So wait a minute, where has he been? <laughs> and so, 
<clears throat> I uh, I spoke to the the person that runs our online community. Yeah. And she knew you, and she said, well, you had done some stuff um, with uh, a cardiologist on the West Coast we'd work with. And so I called them yep. and said, hey, you know you know him, you know, connect us. And so yeah. there you have it. Yeah. But but I'm really impressed with the work you're doing, the book you have, um, you know, I've tried your herbs. And, and uh, again, I just look forward to continue to work with you and yep. connect in, in a lot of positive ways. So, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thankful. That's off. I, I give <laughs> thanks, man. And the other thing is, I was like, oh, and he went to Mercer. <laughs> I'm like, I went to Mercer too. So, yep. yeah, yeah, a, a, a hell of a collaboration and something that I've been looking for. So I'm thankful for it. Now, what what I want to talk about a little bit is like that peels the plant story. Like mine started with the fact that I got diagnosed with high blood pressure when I was 16. Mm-hmm. And this was despite the fact that I was an athlete, only about 7 to 10% body fat, really fit. Still had high blood pressure. So just like many other people, I chalked it up to genetics. Mm-hmm. And so I just basically live with it. And as you know, yep. most healthcare professionals are the worst patients. So That's right. That's every right. time I got a, a checkup, I got a prescription, yep. which I never filled. Yep. But I kept steadily seeing that blood pressure get higher and higher. And as I'm, I become a clinical pharmacist and I'm in the hospital and I'm trying to help people, mm-hmm. what I'm noticing is that, man, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> like, not only are you not taking the drugs that you have been educated <laughs> to pers- to give to other patients, That's right? But you're not doing anything in your lifestyle too. That's right. And I, at at my high hospital, I was one of the few black people in a white coat. Mm. And so, whenever somebody would see me, they would see me and say okay, I don't know what the hell this doctor just told me, so let me go ask the brother. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and so they come up to me and I explain. So I became this resource for people. A lot of resource. Yeah, and so, you know, but now I'm like, now I'm becoming this resource, I feel like a hypocrite because I'm just like, I, yeah. I really can't help you. Wow. And um, so out of that, I decided to embrace a plant-based diet or go on this journey to discover what could actually help my blood pressure. Wow. And um, and in about thirty days, I reduced my blood pressure from about the one sixties down to the one thirties. Wow! And then in another thirty days, so sixty days, I normalized it to the blood pressure of like a thirteen-year-old girl. Oh my goodness! And I also resolved my sleep apnea. Oh wow! Uh, I lost about forty-five pounds. Wow! And now, not only are they looking at me as a as a as a sign of hope from the standpoint of hey somebody who looks like me in a white coat yep. but now they're seeing the results yep and it was that point that i said okay this is the direction i'm going wow yeah and so can you tell the people a little bit about your pills the plant story because mm-hmm. you know we all have different roads we travel to get there but mm-hmm. you being a cardiologist working with heart patient uh cardiovascular patients and things of that nature, we go through school for a decade, <laughs> and we get indoctrinated, <laughs> indoctrinated to the point exactly where right. you do not want to let go of that's exactly this indoctrination. Right. No, that's exactly right. So explain your Pills the Plant story. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you shared your story, because that similar background. So mine started back in medical school, in which I know it probably started before then. Uh, And when I was a kid, I didn't go to the doctor very much. I didn't know what my blood pressure was, but it probably was probably, you know, higher than it needed to be. Yeah. But in medical school, we used to uh, volunteer to be subjects for different research projects. I remember once I did like a four-day starvation project. Whatever the case is, we'd make money. That's how I made money. Okay. It was a particular project where they were going to measure our VO2 max, and we had to walk on a treadmill, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So you got a resting EKG. <clears throat> they took my resting EKG. It was so abnormal. Uh, the researchers could not let me get into the study until they had the cardiologist review it and had to get cardiac clearance just by them reading my EKG. Wow. Now, I wasn't a cardiologist then, but in hindsight, in fact, I kept copies of it. That was a very abnormal EKG. And 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 knowing what I know about reading EKGs now, looking back on that EKG, I definitely had coronary disease. And what age was this? Uh, so that was, oh gosh, probably my second year medical school. 
So 2024, 25? Now, I want people to think about that again. Me 16, you 24. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of young people think that they're clear because they're young. So it's important. And and, and the other thing, too, just to digress slightly, uh, and you're probably aware of this data, but they did autopsies on American soldiers who had died in the Korean War back in the 50s. Yep. Looked at 300 hearts. Roughly, a little shop, 80%, about 77, 78% of them had gross plaque in their coronary arteries, and the average age was 22. Yep. So we have data, and there's also uh, motor vehicle uh, accident data on, I think, 14 to 16-year-olds, and about 65% of them have atherosclerosis. So yes, we know that, that cardiovascular disease start in your teens and early 20s. So back to my story. So I'm 24 at that time. So I get in the study. I do that study and all that. Now I'm feeling okay. So I don't have symptoms, et cetera, at least, you know, quote unquote, okay. Yeah. Um, fast forward to my honeymoon. I got married when I was 32. Gotcha. My uh, then wife and I, we were uh, um, honeymooning in the Canadian Rockies. I remember we were out walking in the snow. Yeah. And I was just having some difficulty breathing. You know, walking in the snow. 32. 32 years old. Typical angelal symptoms. Now, I knew what it was. I was a cardiology fellow then. Yeah. And so, wasn't quite the severe tightness, but a little bit of symptoms of fullness in the chest, shortness. I said, hey, let's kind of, you know, I kind of played it off. Let's slow down. Let's do this and the other. Yeah. So, that was another signal there. Yeah. So, I'm 32 at that time. So, 24 to 32, abnormal EKG, et cetera. Also around that time, I knew my cholesterol was elevated. Yep. My LDL cholesterol was up to 138. Gotcha. So this is in my mid to late 30s, maybe 35, 36. I noticed these things. I started going on different diets, this low-calorie diet. There's a physician that had a, a practice, and I was overweight at that time as well. Uh, she had a practice where she did, um, she did medical uh, bariatrics. So okay. she put you on this 500 calorie a day diet and give you some supplements and so on and so forth. And I lost a ton of weight. Right. LDL cholesterol didn't budge. Nope. So it wasn't, and I was, again, doing my own research, reading the lay press, et cetera, because I didn't want to take the typical medication. I knew about statins, all of that. Uh, long story short, came across a plant based diet. For some reason, I took a raw vegan chef course on a weekend. It was a, it was a, um, one of these, you know, course we get become a certified raw vegan chef. It was in Houston. I did that in <laughs> South Africa. Oh, you did? Okay. <laughs> well, you probably had a better course than I did. But anyway. <laughs> but one thing happened, though, is I, I learned a lot about, you know, plant-based nutrition. Also, they shared a lot of resources, including a, a guy named John Rose, whom I met. He's in Houston. The guy had a background as a CPA. Yes. But he was coached people on juice feast. And so I called him up, and we sat in a Whole Foods for, gosh, I don't know, six hours. I mean, the guy had a big backpack, seemed to know everything about food and eating, talk about plant-based diets, and not only plant-based, raw, et cetera, et cetera. So I paid him to do his juice feast. So I did 33 days of raw juice. I'd call him every day. He would you know, tell me what to do, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And I kid you not, you know, not only did I lose weight, the weight loss was nothing. I just felt like a different human being. I was I, I didn't feel my feet touch the ground. Right. I was Light. floating. Light. My my mind was clear, energetic. I mean, it was like I, I vibrated. There was a whole a different energy about me. Yep. And so I said, this is amazing stuff. Yeah. And so um, of course the LDL cholesterol just went down to well, like yeah. 70, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, so making a long story short, I started off this pattern and said, Well, eating a plant-based diet was eating. Now Here's here's the drawback. <clears throat> I eat healthy plant-based food, but then I would eat vegan junk food. Yep. Every year I would do a, a juice feast detox. And I was wait, there's something different. Yeah. And so over time I said, wait a minute. All vegan food is not equal. Indeed. And you have to have natural, healthy, plant-based food, minimally processed, et cetera. So we came up with a, a food classification system where I use a numbering system that not only includes, okay, plant-based is superior to animal-based, but if you get okra, batter it, and fry it, then it's going to have the same negative aspects of maybe fried chicken wings. Yep. Uh, And so we had to layer these things out for our patient, not just say, okay, eat vegan, 
but you have to, we call it the food prescription approach because we have to be prescriptive in our product. And you understand that very yeah. clearly. 100. When you write a prescription, you have to be precise. The, the amount, the dosage, the frequency. So we have to be how the food's prepared, where does it come from, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And so that was my journey into this whole, whole avenue. Yeah, and so I, what I love about that is that, again, same thing. The journey started with you. Mm-hmm. It was a self-healing <laughs> journey initially. That's right. That got expanded to everybody else. I could heal thyself. Yeah, and I, <laughs> and when I say that is bar none the best education that you can get sure. when you're attempting to heal yourself. That's right. That is bar none the best education you can get because you're gonna fight for yourself like nobody else would. No, that's exactly right. And yeah, the, the interesting thing about it is that this form of therapy, and I tell a lot of my patients this. You know, of all the therapies I've used in my practice, I'm a, I'm a board-certified cardiologist, practice cardiac electrophysiology, catheter ablations, device implants, other type of procedures. Of all the therapies I recommend, whether it's medical procedures, surgical procedures I've done on patients, I've never used those on myself. Right. However, the prescription of nutrition that I prescribe my patients all of those I use on myself. And any other natural intervention, whether it's a, a nutraceutical, et cetera, I've used those on myself. Right. But I don't use the allopathic treatment on myself. Right. And so I try to help make that distinction. Come on, guys, wake up. Yeah. If, if, if your doctor's saying, okay, this is for me, and, and you can have this, you can have that, I'm not going to have that, you need to wake up and say, wait a minute, I want that too. Right. And so the personal journey taught me that, yeah, this is ideal I did. I knew. I saw the side effects of medication. I saw the side effects of potential surgeries, so I didn't want to go down that road. I didn't at the beginning. I didn't know what road I needed to go down. Right. But I knew I didn't want to take you know prescription drugs, et cetera. Yeah. So, with that being said, <clears throat> I think it's important for people to know and understand that at every part of the journey you're going to have some inflection of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And for me, after discovering, okay, this was healing for me, mm-hmm. the, my first thought was, will this heal someone else? Yep. That was that was my first thought. It was like, oh, yep. okay, I, now I know it worked for me, Yep. but will this heal someone else? It's exactly my journey. Yeah. And exactly my journey. And so then I go down this path of, okay, if you want to try what I did, let's try it. So yep. now I'm getting calls uh, into the hospital. Hey, <laughs> can I get the, you know, the doctor, the tall one? And they're like, the tall one? There's a lot of tall ones. Okay, the tall and black one. Okay, the tall and black one with the waves. <laughs> and then they get on the phone and they're like, hey, so um, you helped my uncle. And uh, I wanted to get the same thing you gave him. And I'm like, what do you, wait, what? What prescription? No, not the prescription, like the thing. And I'm like, what's going He's like, okay, I, I know I'm, I'm probably not supposed to call you. I'm going to come up there. And so it was like this secretive, oh like. <laughs> We're going to get in trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, I distinctly remember, like, how important it was for me to understand that, you know, they were looking at this like it was, like, a dangerous thing to be doing. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, just plant. <laughs> and we talked a little bit before the interview started yeah. about how that fear mm-hmm. can control people and what they do and how they think and often the decisions they make in their own lives. Because quite often what happens is, is, you know, I'll tell somebody, like, this literally could help reverse your condition. Yeah. I mean, the fear, it's interesting because you're right. Um People are afraid for a lot of reasons, and and you know I, I often don't understand it largely because you know I don't operate out of fear. Yeah. So it's hard for me to sort of get into that mindset. But you know I'll see patients who are afraid to make changes just for the sake of making changes. Um, you know sometimes they'll communicate to me, hey, you know you're afraid that uh, you know they're going to come after you, the powers that be, etc. Uh, some people are afraid to just come off their medications. Yeah. They've been taking them for so long. Yeah. Uh, I said, well, you know, I, I, should I come off this? The doctors have to, you know, so wait a minute. I'm, and we're controlling this and we're monitoring, et cetera. 
So, so that fear just captivates him in a lot of different ways, and and it's it's really hard to understand, uh, especially if you're someone who don't operate out of fear. But but it's very interesting that that they were very secretive in their yeah. approach for that, uh, yeah. because um, yeah, I think people there seems to be a more of a boldness now. Certainly, at that time, I saw similar type things with patients. Yeah, I still see people who are afraid to come off medication or afraid to. Uh, one thing I'm saying, lots of patients are afraid of their doctors. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they'll make changes. We see patients, you know, although I'm a cardiologist, we see patients come in with cancer, other types of illnesses, and they're doing well. And uh, they don't want to take chemotherapy, et cetera. And they're doing better with the nutrition and some of the other interventions that, that we were applying. And they go back and see the oncologist, and the oncologist said, well, the chemo's working. And they hadn't been taking the chemo. Right. I said, why did you tell them? He said, no, I'm afraid. Yeah. So, so that, that fear still have its power. And I think, you know, the medical industrial complex yeah. has somewhat of a grip on, on all of us from a standpoint of our society. Right. And, I, I, and it's, so, it's so crazy that you literally have to tell patients they have the permission to make a decision about their choice in therapy. Absolutely. You're the boss is what I think. Yeah. I mean, we're, I work for you. They work for you. Yep. But I think it's just, I don't know, the, the professionals, the medical profession has been, has been given this, you know, uh, sense of awe that we have a sense of a, a God complex, a power that be, yeah. and, and that's just come down through society. Uh, also, people have lost the ability I mean, lots of people used to talk about their grandmother, great grandmother, going in the backyard getting herbs or whatever, and yeah, yeah, taking yeah. care of themselves. Mm-hmm. People lost the ability to really take care of themselves, and we've relinquished that power to so-called professionals and and white coats who can say, "Okay, take this or take that." And I think that plays a lot into it as well. Yeah. So, with that being said, I know. All right, so I start with myself, and then I'm like, "Okay, I'm gonna help these people mm-hmm. around me." Mm-hmm. And then the next idea I get is, well, maybe I should tell my colleagues about this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, what happened was, you know, I had this very enthusiastic patient mm-hmm. who had diabetes, hypertension, you name it, mm-hmm. on 19 different medications. Mm-hmm. Yep. And through some guidance, she was taking off all the medications and... Her doctor said that she was in remission um, of those diseases, not not healed of them, but in remission. And so she took it upon herself to go to the higher ups to tell them what I was doing, Uh-oh. unbeknownst to me. And uh, <laughs> and they and they think she's doing a good thing, and they yeah. come and they're like, "Wait, what did you do? Did you take off?" I'm like, I took off nothing. I don't have even have the ability to do that. She's yeah, not yeah, even yeah. my patient. Uh-huh. And um, so we go through this rigmarole, but what I remember distinctly after the conversation was I thought it was going to be a conversation at that point about, let's figure out how we can implement this in the system. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, if we could be able to do this, like, this is going to change the world. Yeah. That was not Mm -mm. how things ran for me. So there was a point that I felt like I was traveling down a road by myself, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And- being that I've worked for the FDA, I've worked as a mm-hmm. clinical pharmacist, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. I started to realize the system that was in place that was not only I was up against, but the patient was up against as well, too. That's right. So has there ever been a time where you felt like you sort of been David against Goliath when it comes to going up against big pharma, healthcare, the food industry, food policy and regulation, health insurance companies, and et cetera? You know, that's the exact analogy I use and have used in different talks. In fact, if you would go through some of the slides I've done in talks, I have a, a an image of our center. So so my our center is about 53, a little shop, you know, 5,500 square feet. Uh, we have, you know, we do all our medical services there, et cetera. And we are just four miles south of the world's largest medical center, the Texas Medical Center in Houston. Yeah. And I've done a presentation where I've shown that image and our image and and that whole David versus Goliath. <laughs> uh, and I like that analogy because the, uh, and I think it's an ongoing process for us. So the answer is yes, I feel that way. And 
and it's really it's it's a um it's a contrived feeling because I say, okay, look, this is this is a battle that you know God has put me up here to take part in. Right. And so the answer is yes. Now my my journey was a little bit different in the sense that when I finished my training, I started my practice out of school. I never worked for anyone, et cetera. So I started right out of, out of my training, hung up my shingle, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, I was planning to open my practice two years before I finished my you know, cardiology EP training. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. Now, it had its own set of issues and the like. But but the beauty of that was you know, I was able to dream. And so I was sharing with some of my team members uh, just the other day a mission statement that I wrote that talked about us, you know, setting a vision for the future, going outside of the standard of, of medicine, you know, using lifestyle as the focus of our intervention, et cetera. And that mission statement I wrote 23 years ago, in fact, is still, we're, what we're doing now is still in line with that mission statement. But what I learned in, in our operation is that, yes, the, the system is designed uh, to promote the pharmaceutical drugs, to promote the devices, to promote the the procedures, to promote hospitalizations. You can even argue the insurance companies are all part of that. Yeah. Now one would argue, so wait a minute, why would insurance companies, you know, want to do that? You would think right. they want to do something to actually save money. Save some money. But no, what happens is that if somebody has a sickness and a perceived sickness, then they're going to have a need to have insurance. Yep. And so the insurance they control the money. So I'm going to say, okay, uh, you need to send us two hundred dollars a month, so we'll keep you insured. Okay, great. Right. I was going up to three hundred a month, four hundred a month, five hundred a month, a thousand, and then of course, you know, employers, uh, large ones, obliged to help you know subsidize that. So a lot of this money goes to insurance companies. So that proceed that perception of sickness has to be there. That fear of being sick has to be there, so that people say, "I need insurance." Right. Uh, and so every you know small little thing, you know, you get a cough or a headache or whatever. You go to the doctor, you go to the emergency room because you need insurance to get that covered. Right. And these things are treated very simply, but simple lifestyle things, et cetera. So you have a system that's designed to perpetuate illness for the sake of profit. With no incentive for mm -hmm. actual healing. No incentive for actual On any level. On, exactly. the, on the level of drugs and pharmaceutical, on the level of hospitalizations and going to the hospital, on the level of food, on the level of health insurance, no level where there's an incentive for people to actually be healthy. Now, is it not an incentive for being healthy? There's an incentive for being unhealthy. Yes. And so, so it's like, wait, we want you unhealthy. We want you unhealthy enough so we can continue to make money off your sickness. Right. You know, so we can have you walk around as a walking eel. You got your diabetes, your high blood pressure. You're taking this medications, and I tell my patients all the time: doctors are not trained to make you well. We're indoctrinated to put you on the right medication. Right. The medications are indicated. I go to my meetings. So I was attended two meetings: a heart failure meeting, not heart failure, but a, a cardiology meeting this year, and also electrophysiology meeting, and. The talk is what's indicated for this illness. Right. It's not about how can we reverse this. Right. You know, these drugs, here are the, the four pillars of treating heart failure, yeah. the four pillars of treating hypertension or, or whatever the case is. And so it's what's indicated. And what I notice is that over time, um, as new drugs come out, these drugs are pushed to the top of the ACCAHA yep. indication. Mm -hmm. So like the old drugs, which are like beta blockers, all of them are generic. Diuretics. Diuretics. So many of those drugs were at the top of the list, but now they've gone generic. Now you have other types of drugs being pushed at the top of the list that have patents on them. Right. And so it's it's really a system that's that's designed for making money for an institution, and people need to understand that. If you're a patient, an individual with some diagnostic label, then you need to understand that I need to get with someone or some group that's going to help me understand not what my label is, you know, what is type 2 diabetes. That's the other thing, too. We work with labels. Yeah. But we need to understand the underlying mechanism of these diseases. And they're simple mechanisms. I like how you point these things out in your book Yeah. in terms of how you know, inflammation and fat and toxins, all these things underscore these chronic inf uh, chronic illnesses. Right. And so anyway, so the, the point is, yes, um, 
I feel like, you know, this David versus Goliath type situation, but my situation is I had the freedom to manipulate things and move things around, and I started applying to my patients one at a time and saw the differences there, and I was amazed. And so my eyes, first of all, myself, my eyes woke up with my, what happened with my patients, right. and the rest is history. Got you. And that's what I always explain to people, that we have this idea about what a healthcare professional or a doctor is, and in this in this eye in this vision, we have this general hospital sort of view, or like house, or yeah. like your scrubs. We have this yeah. this this hero sort of view of the yeah. physician, but what we don't understand is that they're working from a limited tool belt. Yep. And the superpowers that they could have, they're limited because they can only work within the limited tool belt they have, which is treatment algorithms. That's and if right. you go outside of this treatment algorithm, that's right. it means that you open yourself up to malpractice. That's and right. as a result, a lot of physicians even act out of fear mm-hmm. and say, I'm not going to do anything outside of what this treatment algorithm, whether it be for hypertension, whether it be for diabetes, or whether it be for autoimmune condition, whatever it says to do, that is what I'm going to do. I agree with you. And that's that's exactly right. And that's but see, that's the that's the best of the group. I mean, those are the ones who kind of know that, hey, there's probably something else. Yeah. A vast majority of them are so indoctrinated, they don't they know. They have anything. no clue. Have no clue. Yeah. And I think it's that's more and more the case now with physicians coming out of training. Yeah. And and I think training is is really the indoctrination. I mean, you've got the highest level is education where you're taught to think and question, et cetera. You know, then you have training where you, you know, given a skill, et cetera. But even within the concept of training, there's some wiggle room where you can figure out something different yeah. or create solve new problems. Indoctrination is that Oh, you you have no way of thinking of anything else. And no room for creativity. No room for creativity. Or specificity with this particular patient. You're programmed. Yeah. You're programmed. And then the other thing is, what people have to understand, is that doctors are just, I mean, for the most part, many doctors, especially working within big systems, employed by big systems, they're just cogs in the wheel. Yep. And so they're just, I mean, they're just glorified technicians in the case of those who do procedures or glorified you know, uh, dope deals in case of the right prescriptions. Yep. Uh, you come in, oh, you have this diagnostic label. That's right. And 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 that's it. There's no thought. There's no creativity, as you say. That's just that straightforward process of here are the pills. This is all I know to do. I'll see you later. Yep. And I'll see you next month. Or next I'll month. see you yeah. oh, the next Three months visit. or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Gotcha, gotcha. The other thing, too, is that the, the, the other concerning thing that I see with my patients that you know, they'll have side effects to yep. these medications. Which all drugs have side effects. There is no drug that That's does right. not have side effects. I'm glad you said that because because when I'm mentioning, when I said side effects, I'm talking about symptomatology side effects, but oftentimes people have side effects that are asymptomatic. So you're right. So if you're taking a pill and you don't have aches, pains, you don't turn blue, et cetera, and you seem to be tolerating it okay, yeah. you're still having side effects. Still having side and, effects. And, you know, part of my journey, and I, I talk about this a lot, and I talk about the book, you know, my mother died from polypharmacy. Mm. And, um, you know, what happened was, you know, she was a diabetic for many years, followed all the doctors' rules, the diabetic diet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which was, you know, take off from the standard American diet. You're right. But she was diagnosed with a meningioma, went to the hospital. We were putting on different medications. And, you know, I was part of the treating team because it was really funny because nobody wants to take care of her. I was on staff physician, all that stuff. So I had to be on part of the team. And, yeah. and I had no problems with that. But one thing I did not know at the time is that she was having liver cirrhosis. And she had been followed by a gastroenterologist. LFTs were never elevated, et cetera. Yeah. She tolerated medications. But... When it all was said and done, when I had to pronounce her, we, you know, they had to go on. Her liver was scarred up. Yep. And I looked on a medication list. She had about 10 drugs that were cleared through the liver. Yep. And that was some, That was a lesson that she taught me on her deathbed. And so we make a big point of weaning medication. So the point you make about all medication have side effects, you know, I cannot overemphasize that. Even if you're tolerating those medications, yep. they have side effects. And I don't even call them side effects. I just call them effects. They are essentially they are effects of the drug. And you want to know why they're effects? Yeah. It's because 
even when the commercial comes out, they're telling you that this is a high possibility. That's right. So even if you don't have the sentimentology of mm-hmm. the side effect, yep. the effect is still happening. That's right. You know, That's right. So, so it's important. And even on my father's, my father passed away. And one of the things that I learned very late about what could have been done, my father worked for an aluminum plant for mm. years. And it wasn't until the very end that I realized my dad worked for this aluminum plant for 30 years. What are the effects of aluminum on the body, the brain? Yeah. And it wasn't until then I understood the impact of what that was having on his early dementia. Oh, wow. What the impact that was having on his gut, you know, on his overall health. And so, you know, as, as, this is why I always tell people, there's always room to learn, and it wasn't until the end that I actually saw it myself too. So wow, yeah, you know, super critical. And, and these things, it's it's um, the experiential knowledge that we gain. You know, first of all, taking our own health, loved ones, it adds that extra dimension. At least in my experience, that yeah. extra dimension of not only do I know this, you know, cognitively, yeah, but there's a there's a gut sense that of the importance of knowing this, yeah. And so that's where the experiential knowledge you know, tends to bring. That there's a sense, there's a gut sense of understanding that hey, this is important and important for this reason. Yeah, uh, this is not just a simple fact to memorize itself. Right. And you know, one of the things I'm writing about in my next book is how medicine changed in the early 1900s. Mm. And one of the things I talk about is how Rockefeller had an influence on medicine. Yep. And one of the things you can go back and look up and look and sort of get an understanding of how they went about this is something called the Flexner Report. Mm. They created this report where they went around to all the medical schools just to Mm -hmm. see how they were practicing and different. And based upon this report, they decided that 80% of medical schools needed to be shut down. Mm. And then he donated the equivalent of a billion dollars to what is known today as GEB or the General uh, Education Board. Mm -hmm. And this influenced a lot of medical schools, which many of them were failing because most people were going to get natural medicine. Yes. You know, in the early 1900s. So many of the medical schools were failing, but the one that wasn't was John Hopkins. Mm. And they deemed them as the bright light. Mm. in terms of medical schools, and they put all their support behind them. And almost, I believe, 50% of medical schools were shut down. Almost 80% of, uh, I believe, historically black college medical schools were shut down. Mm. And as a result, they created these new sort of uh, what I would call regulations and policies around what what is considered modern medicine and what isn't. And as a result of that, now you see the modern medicine practice that we have today. Now, what isn't talked about is that some of the first vitamins that were, you know, um, discovered were discovered and they were discovered out of oil byproducts, Mm. you know. And so when you look at some of the first vitamins, they were the byproducts of oil products. And everybody knows that Rockefeller is oil man. Yeah. Oil man. And so many of these things were implemented into the hospital. And then the next practice was nothing can be prescribed if it's not a patented drug. Yep. This eliminated anything that was actually plant-based to be used because you can't patent nature. Right. And so as I'm realizing this and understanding like this is where we took a wrong turn because you start to look back, you're like, how did we get here? Yeah. What? Well, it was a controlling effort. Didn't he team up with Carnegie also? He did. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it was it was a control it was a power move is what it was. I yeah. mean, and the people that were in medicine, you know, they were just doing their thing without really controlling their industry, right. their environment. Yeah. So what obstacles, if any, have you sort of experienced as you started to as you started to implement implement a food medicine approach? With your cardiac patients, you know it was, it was the it was really the terrain as I see it, and I think I still see it as a terrain. So, for example, if one were to go and you see a wooded area you're exploring, you're gonna say, "I'm gonna trailblaze. I'm gonna build a subdivision or build a road." Uh, the obstacles of the natural terrain, and so what I came across 
when I started promoting plant-based nutrition was the terrain. So by that, I mean the following. So after I had my revelation, my health changed, I started with patients. I said, okay, you know, I remember one lady, she was a diabetic and and uh, she came in in a wheelchair and she was just discharged from the hospital, seeing her for the first time. She was on 21 medications. She had some arthritis. She was on oxygen. She had come in with a UTI, whatever. So they came to see me. She had an ejection fraction of 10%. The percentage of her heart was beating 50% or greater as, as normal as you know. And, and what um, is, tell the audience what is considered heart failure. So what ejection. heart failure is, is really a, 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 a physiological process when your heart does not circulate blood yep. commiserate to your body's needs. So, yes. for example, if you need to circulate, let's say, uh, a gallon worth of blood every minute, to deliver oxygen and nutrients to your body, uh, and your body's only your heart's only able to to circulate half a gallon, then your heart has to beat twice as fast. Yep. Or you're going to get tired, you know, with half the distance, which eventually causes the heart to enlarge because it's causes overwork. the heart to enlarge, overwork. So it has to beat faster, overwork. So it gets weaker. So it only goes down from if it needs a liter and it goes on a 500, it's working to produce a liter. Then it weakens to where it can only do 250 and yep. so on and so forth. Yeah. So it's just the inability of your body to circulate blood adequate to your needs. Yep. So she her body was doing it like, you know, only 20% of what it should be at an ejection fraction of 10%. And she had already had four vessel bypass. She had already had about three or four stents, and the heart was still that weak. So she had pretty much undergone everything medicine, quote unquote, medicine could offer. So anyway, she willed in and she was on oxygen, she felt bad. So the husband brought her in. So I looked there, looked at all the medication, thought to myself, I said, um, so do you have a juicer? And he said, well, yeah, I have a juicer. Because you know, they were the age back in the, the Jack LaLanne juice and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had one sitting in the box and never opened. I had one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. Roll out some juice recipes. For the next 10 days, I want you to, to not eat, just drink these cold-pressed juices. I'll talk to the phone, need to eat medicine. She came back, we had a couple of phone conversations, we need a bunch of medicines, walking, talking, laughing, no auction, no wheelchair, et cetera. Ten days. Yeah. Now, point I'm making is this. So that was one of many examples of how effective the treatment was. Yeah. So the, the treatment itself was very effective. Yeah. Where was the difficulty? The difficulty is that that patient, like many other patients, after a certain period of time, going to their communities, where am I going to get this food from, this, that, and the other. Oh, how about family meetings, get-togethers, church meetings? This, that. Yeah. So the terrain was the challenge. In yeah. fact, even sending people to go and get food, because we didn't have a restaurant then. Yeah. Uh, it was like, okay, go and get this. What do I find the healthy stuff? Well, oh, they. I went to such and such restaurant, and I ate vegan, but it has oil and stuff in it. Of course. So the terrain, the environment, family, friends, social environment, workplaces. Everything we do is built around eating food. That's exactly right. So that's been the biggest obstacle that was certainly early on. Yeah. And it still remains a formal obstacle. Now, things we've done uh, to sort of counter that, A, we put a restaurant and grocery store in our center. Uh, we put together an online community. We're working on our own health plan, subscription plan. So we're creating our own cocoon or sets of cocoons, if you will, in which people can operate and get that type of mental psychological support right. as well as didactic support. But that terrain still, that that uneasy terrain or difficult terrain still exists because yeah. it's our environment that we're dealing with. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And so as I was telling you, you know, when we've talked before, you know, I own a tropical fruit farm and yeah. I started this journey about 13, 13 years ago as opposed to your two decades ago. <laughs> but roughly 70% of what I eat is raw. Yep. And there was a span of a year or two where I ate 100% raw. Yep. And I did a lot of fruit fasting, juice fasting, water fasting. Yep. And I'll tell you, during that period of my life, I felt exactly how you did. I yep. felt like when I was walking, like I wasn't touching the ground. <laughs> I felt uh, this elation or happiness as if opioids were just... That's right. Being constantly produced in my body. That's right. I've never felt that way before in my life. Could you share with the audience why it's so important to incorporate foods in their raw original state That's in right. their diet? 
You know, um, I remember a, a, we were on an online uh, community thing, and a, and a colleague of mine, she's a plant-based pediatrician, she was actually giving a, letter, a, a, a lecture to our community. Yeah. <clears throat> and she said something that I thought was quite profound. And she says that the food carries information to the body. Indeed it does. <laughs> and, you know, the thing is this. If you think about, uh, and, 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 and it's, it's, you know, Genesis 129, we talk about that. And it's God's original diet. There's none before that. The whole concept of first mention uh, is there. Yeah. And so that's what's designed for us to eat. Now, the, the food that we consume, uh, let's say a leafy green uh, plant of some sort that's taking radiant energy from the sun, is taking you know uh, molecules from the air, is taking soil, is taking water, uh, and all those things are going through the plant. All the elements. All the elements, and we consume the plant. That element is preparing those. That that plant rather is preparing those elements. I mean, we can eat the soil. We can. I guess get sun. We do get sunlight and vitamin D. We're nourished by the sun directly, uh, but there's a aspect of what we consume through the plant yeah. that's prepared in a certain way. Water, for example, you know, the plant derived water is going to be the best water you can get. One hundred percent. Yeah, because it's structured be water. Structured water. Yeah. And so, so uh, uh, you know, Doug Graham talks about each your water. Yep. And so, so that example in terms of which is probably the most important nutrient other than sunlight that you get plant-derived. So plant-derived nutrition is going to be key. Now, if you go beyond the macromolecules, the micronutrients, et cetera, plant has energy, yep. that energy from the sun. Yep. There's a vibration there. Different plants have different vibrations. I don't fully understand that. You're right. But that vibration, that energy charge is getting into our system. I think that's what I felt. Remember, when I and you probably had the same experience. There's a charge that you have that's something beyond what you can explain. Right. And that's what I'm always telling people is that we are literally electric beings. Mm-hmm. And as a cardiologist, you know that. <laughs> Electrophysiologist you know, at that. Exactly. <laughs> as soon as your electrophysiology is off in your heart, your heart stops functioning the way it should. That's exactly you right. You get an arrhythmia. That's right. And which means that the rhythm is lost. That's right. Okay? That's right. But it's also important for people to understand when I say we are electric beings, we are literally electric beings. That's right. Because when the heart stops, what do we do? We take the defibrillator paddles, boom, give you a shot. That's right. To get your sinus rhythm back. That's right. If you have high blood pressure, what do we give you? A calcium channel blocker. That's right. What does calcium do? Create electricity, Electricity. a a harder pump in the heart. That's right. So it's important for people to know if you want to be living, you got to eat something that is living. And for something to be living, it has to have electricity pulsing through it. That's exactly right. And you can, even in others, in psychiatry, severe depression are treated with ECT shock. And so they, they were shocking in different ways to sort of recharge the body. Yeah. But you can recharge the body with the nutrients that you consume if you consume nutrients in the right way. And I'm glad you mentioned the fact that you have a farm because, again, that whole concept of terrain, getting food in its yep. natural state, yep. you know, that's, that's part of it. I tell people, look, grow your own food. Find something local. Find food that's – I don't care what the, what the price is. The cost is going to be less if you get something that's higher quality. Because of the investment. Because of the investment. Because you say, well, that's too expensive. Well, expensive food is less costly. Mm -hmm. I tell patients that all the time. Cheap food is more costly. You have to have that concept. You have to make an investment. Yeah, and you either pay the farmer or you pay big pharma. Oh my goodness, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> the farmer or the big farmer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. But you know, it's right. It's it's these are simple concepts, and oftentimes simple things are very difficult to carry out. So simple um, in the concept doesn't mean easy. Yeah, and so we understand the things that people are up against, and I, I have these discussions with my patients all the time. So I say, yeah, what I'm asking you to do is very simple, but I understand it's not easy because of you know X, Y, and Z. However, you have to start to make bold steps. Yeah, because you know going into the hospital, 
laying in a CCU in the ICF, patients in the hospital right now, physicians covering for me. Yeah. You know, getting, you know, different treatments, whether it's dialysis or surgeries and different things. Right. And you're in the hospital, and, and the hospitals, it, I mean, it can stabilize you from an acute illness, but it's not going to give you that long-term yes. well-being, yeah. and that's what you want. Gotcha. Have, are you familiar with the term Herxheimer reaction? Yes. I mean, this basically, early on, it used to be when you, you know, treat someone, you have like, you know, parasites or whatever, you have killing, you have an acute inflammatory reaction with a yeah. kill off and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, I refer to it as a detox reaction. It's yeah. like, you know, it's really your autoimmune system responding to an inflammatory process, whether you're killing off microbes or you're transitioning toxins through your body, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so I always call it the healing crisis. Yes, yes. And the reason why I call it the healing crisis because healing is happening, but you see it as a crisis. Yes. And that's the huge difference between modern medicine and natural medicine. Mm -hmm. From a modern medicine standpoint, you're often never going to see this healing crisis. Yeah. Because what you're looking for when you go to get any kind of drug or over-the-counter uh, nutraceutical or pharmaceutical, what you're looking for is the alleviation of symptoms. Yes. And so you don't want to see any type <laughs> of reaction at all. You want right. to see no reaction. That's right. That's and right. our perception of health is the absence of disease yes. or the absence of symptoms. Yeah. But what I've seen as I transition from the pill side to the plant side is that that type of healing yep. involves you experiencing the dis-ease coming out of the body. That's right. And so quite often what I see is that, especially because I, I use a herbal detox to heal people. Yep. And so part of what the detox does, is it gets rid of the parasites. It gets rid of the yeast. Mm -hmm. It gets rid of the heavy metals, the mucus, the acidity in the body. Mm -hmm. And as these things are being prepared to go outside of the body, mm -hmm. they have to be elite alleviated through the skin, yep. which sometimes you experience an outbreak. Yep. Sometimes they're alleviated through the sinuses. Sometimes you experience mucus coming up. Yep. Sometimes you have flu-like symptoms. Yep. And so the reason why I'm asking you this is, um, talking about this is because what part of natural healing process, why is this part of the natural healing process but not part of the pharmaceutical process? <clears throat> you know... I think you 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 hit on it because, you know, in the allopathic world, you know, health is the masking of symptoms. Yeah, and and I like to refer to it as palliative medicine. Got you. Because um, if somebody's on their deathbed and they're having, you know, they've got terminal cancer, and having terrible cancer, bone pain, etc., you want to mat, you want to, you know. Shut off the symptoms, make right. them comfortable. Yeah. Well, that's really the, the heart of palliative medicine, I mean, allopathic medicine. Yeah. Is make them comfortable. Uh, now, it extends into other things like, okay, if the blood pressure number is high, get the number down. If the cholesterol number is high, get the number down. So even though that's not a physical symptom, it's a sign that you want to, you know, palliate. So it's really covering up, masking signs and symptoms. Why the disease is still. Why the disease is still it's there. still being progressive because yep. even though you use a statin drugs, it's focusing on the liver, <laughs> and the liver is designed to create healthy cholesterol. That's right. And the statin may be elevated because, I mean, cholesterol does a lot of things. It repairs damage, and, and so it may be elevated by some other process, adverse process, that the body's reacting to. And you just, it's sort of like this. If, if, if you're, let's say you're sitting somewhere, you know, movie theater at a restaurant and you know, you got, you know, an alarm at your house and it rings on your phone. And so, you know, phone says, oh, house alarm. Um, you know, there's a fire at the house and it's dinging on your phone and you just turn the alarm off. Yeah. You still keep got, on eating. You still got an issue. Still got a fire. <laughs> <laughs> but people don't understand that. We're just right. turning off the alarms of an underlying illness that's still brewing, still perpetuating, but but we're not addressing the problem. So that's allopathic medicine. So, so and th that's one. Two, the actual medications, I, I cannot overemphasize this, the actual medications is adding to the problem. Yep. So let's say you have a high cholesterol and you give them a statin drug. 
Okay, the statin drug drops the, the, the cholesterol level. Now, we can do a study for a couple of years and show some benefits. So that's the other people come back. And if I was sitting here with a colleague who will argue with me, yeah, we've shown lots of evidence of statin drugs. Yeah, okay, two or three years you show some benefit. Why don't we show t five, ten years benefit? Because yeah. what happens is over time, the adverse effect of that drug overcomes the positive, whatever positive effects there may be. Yep. And so we don't look at that aspect, but the actual drug is causing a problem. Yeah. If you look at people with high cholesterol, and I would, it'd be great to do this study. Look at people with high cholesterol and, 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 and get put half of them on a statin drug, half on no statin drug. Don't just look over two or three years. Look over 10 years, 15, yeah. 15 years, maybe 20 years, and see who does better. Right. I wouldn't be surprised a group without the statin drug does better with all. We Absolutely. do know that with diabetic pills. We do know with, with diabetic medications, tight control of blood sugar had an adverse effect compared to people who had fewer medications with less tight control of blood sugar. Yep. So we do know that the medication adding to that problem. So that whole concept of masking symptoms is, is a problem because, A, the symptoms are a sign of a problem that needs to be addressed. The check engine light. The check engine light. So whether that symptom is an ache, that's a sign of some problem or an elevated blood pressure number, a sign of some problem. It has to be addressed in a natural way, not to be covered up. That's the problem with allopathic medicine. And then the way you're covering up, you're covering it up with a poison that's adding yet another problem. So yeah. if you have high cholesterol or high blood pressure, you already have one problem or a set of problems. Then you add a medication to bring it down, you're adding another problem, not a solution. Right. And so it's the adverse effect of that drug that's having an effect. Maybe in a short period of time, it has some benefit. I'm not going to say that it doesn't because it can. But if you're relying on that for the long run, yeah. you're adding another problem. And yeah. so I tell people that you not only do you not need medications to be healthy, but you need not be on medications right. to be healthy. And, and that's an important thing. Which is why I named the book Vegetation Over Medication. I agree. I agree. <laughs> and the, I agree. The, the other unique thing is that, and I always say this being a chemist first, is that what happens with medications is they just simply manipulate our biochemistry. They don't correct it. That's right. Like and that. and yeah. if it doesn't correct your biochemistry, it means that it's not healing you. And That's it's right. really in people, important for people to say that. Now, when we look out into our community, the African-American uh, community, we are disproportionately affected in every category. Mm -hmm. High blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, kidney disease, cancer, the list goes on and on. Why are African-Americans so sick? Is it genetics or is it our lifestyle? What is it? You know, people like to to put the genetics in there, and you know, they're yeah, we're genetically different. You know, people are genetically different in a lot of different ways. So, so yeah. I'm not going to say there are no differences in genetics. Um, when I was a cardiology fellow, we looked at the DD genotype of of of, of blacks versus non-blacks, and we have a higher expression of the renin-angiotensin. Uh, cascade in terms of receptors in the blood and, and tissue. Which so, means that we really just have a sensitivity to salt. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. And so so you can say, okay, that's that's a genetic thing. And so maybe, okay, if we're eating more salty food, we're going to be worse than somebody else eating salty food. Yeah. Maybe living uh, away from the equator is a, a worse problem for us than other people. Absolutely. So, so you, can, you can put your fingers on certain things. I'm not going to totally discount that. But, but the bulk of our problem is not the genetics, it's really the epigenetics. So, so it's the environment that we bring to ourselves, uh, the, the processed salty foods we eat, the processed foods we eat, the, the excess animal products we eat. Uh, we're putting ourselves in a harmful environment, and we probably do that to a certain extent greater than other populations. Um, you know, it's... You know, we in the United States we have you know the heritage of slave food yeah. that we've you know brought down. Okay, this is soul food, and so we've we've taken that, which is not our original diet. Uh, uh, and so we have that aspect of things. You know, you can argue that other aspects in a psychosocial environment, the stress and so on and so forth, may play into that. But however you look at it, it's always going to be environmental. And what I tell my patients that. Okay, you may have a stressful job. My boss hates me. 
Uh, I've got stress at work. Uh, I've got stress here, etc. My kids are giving me half grief. There are a lot of those things you cannot change at the flip of a switch. There's one thing you can change at the flip of a switch. It's what you put in your mouth and what you don't put in your mouth. Right. And the reason that's important, I figure I'll tell them this why, is this way. Because there are a lot of external factors that you don't have direct control over in the immediate uh, time span. So what you do is you control that which you do have direct Absolutely. control. Absolutely. So you nourish your body. Well, the important part about optimally nourishing your body is that you fortify yourself. You know, when I came here, it was like 30-some-odd degrees. I had to have a coat. I had to fortify myself. I can't right. go and turn the temperature off, you know, here in Atlanta. Right. I, oh, I, I like 75 degrees. Let me turn it. To, no, I've got to fortify myself. Yeah. So your environment, whether it's a, it's, a, it's a racist work environment or kids or life, you may not be able to change those at the flip of a switch. But what you do is you optimize your, nourishment, your, your body so your mind is clear. Your body's more energetic. Your blood pressure naturally control. You're sleeping better, et cetera, et cetera. So then you can then operate within these environments and actually uh, uh, change these environments, have a positive effect because you're better you. Absolutely. And so with that being said, you're a cardiologist. At your clinic, you work with people using a raw diet mm-hmm. to help some of the most severe type of patients with heart failure, strokes, et cetera. That's right. And you've been able to help them, in many cases, reverse the condition, right? Yes. We've seen lots of examples where, you know, patients come, and we have patients coming from, you know, internationally, you know, from all of the United States, et cetera, with heart failure, et cetera. The foundation of our treatment is, is a raw plant-based diet detox. Now, there are some other things we use. So I have a, 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 a statement that I say, okay, the foundation of our treatment is pharmaceuticals. Yep. Okay? Nutrition. The next level will be nutraceuticals as needed. Yeah. Pharmaceuticals last resort. Yeah. So at the pharmaceuticals base is optimal natural detox. There's time-restricted eating with some fasting, hydration, et cetera. We get a long way with that. I have lots of patients come in. They used to do like on my website, we have like a, a jumpstart detox. They just do the detox, and they do very well with that just by itself before they do anything else. Yeah. Now, sometimes you have to add other things. Some people, severe coronary disease. But I've had patients, uh, one example I, I, I share a lot. I'll give you two examples. One lady, uh, she had congestive heart failure, chronic lung disease. I had implanted a defibrillator in her and uh, just all sorts of problems. So she was in a long-term acute care hospital. Now, I happened to be the medical director. It was a small one. Yeah. Medical director at that time, so I was able to do this. So her kidneys started failing. So my nephrology colleague said, look, we need to start on dialysis. The family said, no, we don't want it. And so wait, she's going to die. Well, we still don't want it. So I said, okay, I'll tell you what. Let me try something. Now, I was just early on, the plant-based, and done my detox. Stuff. I put green smoothies through a peg tube. Yeah. Started weaning off medications, regular tube feeds. I got off that. Yep. She walked out of the hospital. Yep. Another patient, and I present this on talks I do a lot, a lady went in, admitted she had lupus, heart failure, bad valve disease. She, with an inflammatory condition, had worsening arrhythmias, worsening valve disease. I talked to my colleague to, to do a structural heart to, to, to uh, repair her mitral regurgitation, yep. a leaky mitral valve. Yep. He saw her. She was in the CCU, too sick. Let her die. Yeah. Another colleague put a device in, too sick. I put on a smoothie feast. She was on milrinone, which, as you know, is yep. an infusion we give people in the last throes of heart failure. Yep. I weaned off milrinone in about five days off other medications. She went from about six to seven medications off. We discharged from the hospital. Long story short, the food is powerful yeah. in, in some of the most lethal diseases that we know. And the body has the ability to heal itself yeah. when optimally nourished and hydrated and rested. Yeah, and so with that being said, you're telling me, as a cardiologist, Mm -hmm. that the number one killer of all human beings, Mm -hmm. there's a natural remedy not only to get you off the medications, Mm -hmm. but to actually reverse the condition that includes using food as medicine, which is a plant-based lifestyle. That's exactly right. And with that being said... yes. Why the hell don't me and you have Nobel Peace Prize? And why isn't this being implemented globally? (laughs) 
No, I, well, <laughs> more people knew about it. They'd probably be chasing <laughs> around the globe or implementing <laughs> around the globe. <laughs> you know, it's it's a great question. Um, I, I think it's something that that um, the powers that be don't want to to. Well, they know about it. They just don't want it to be well accepted. Okay, you know, that's one. Uh, but you know, even within the context of the people who need it most. Uh, you know, we talked about indoctrinations of the, the medical profession and the like. You know, there's a concept of indoctrination of the user. I mean, why somebody, uh, there are many people who are addicted to crack cocaine or other drugs, know it's bad for them and still take it. Yeah. So there's there's an addiction level to things and yeah. an entrapment at that level, at the end user. Absolutely. Uh, and because I tell patients all the time, and so, well, look, you know, you know, they come in, we put them on the detox. I said, look, the most difficult part about this isn't eating healthy food. Anybody can consume a healthy smoothie. Cons- I mean, the, the worst eater on the planet, you know, probably lets spinach or broccoli pass their lips every now and then. Yeah. The challenge of this food is the not eating of the bad stuff. Yes. That's the difficulty that people have. Gotcha. So the difficulty of our, our detox is that I have this concept, look, not a bite, not a drop, not a crumb. Yep of anything outside of the optimal nutrition, especially when you have chronic illnesses, especially when you have chronic illnesses in advanced stages. And on the medication. medication. Last question for today, Doc. Yes, sir. If you ruled the world (laughs) and you could heal our people, what would you do? You know, gosh, one, and, and, and I would rule it in a way uh, I would rule it with a carrot over a stick. Yeah. So I would take away the carrots that the meat and dairy industry gets and the big pharma gets, et cetera. I said, look, you, you, it's okay you exist. You, you want to have you know, a burger shop, wing shop, great. Have your burger shop, have your wing shop, have your junk food shop, but I want you to compete on your own capabilities. So we won't subsidize you know, the raising of animals and all that stuff. You raise animals, whatever the cost is, the cost is, and you make that work economically. So I'll take away the carrot, the misapplied carrot, if you will, yeah. from those industries what have it. Now, then I'll take the carrot and I'll hold it up and I'll say, okay, you know, you healthy, nutritious place, et cetera. You generate what you're doing. And um, I will measure the health of the people based on what they eat. Right. Uh, and so I'll look at, okay, if people eat this healthy food or this kind of food, I'll look at the studies and say, if that brings down health costs and that brings down illness and suffering, then I'll apply that carrot to places that support that way of eating or that gotcha. way of living. Gotcha. So I would rule with a carrot as opposed to a stick. And I'll let these industries compete on their own capabilities based on the good that they bring to the population and therefore the good they bring to the world. Gotcha, gotcha. I love that. I love that, bro. <laughs> so I think we should continue this in Houston. I would love to have you come, and we'd love to show you around our center. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, the like, comment below. If you learned something, comment what you learned below. Um, for me, this was the conversation that the people needed. Uh, it was a conversation that people needed to understand that this isn't just about a vegan movement. This is about how we're supposed to be living our lives on a daily basis. This is a lifestyle, not a diet. And it's not only good for the purposes of you being healthy, but it's also good for the purposes of you healing yourself and for prevention as well, too. So I hope you have enjoyed this. And until the next time, peace and blessings and Godspeed.